And Lord, I come and I confess and bowing here and I find my rest and without you fall apart and you're the one that guides my heart Lord I need you this morning and Lord I need you oh I need you every hour I need you my one defense my right Justness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, and your grace is more, and where grace is found is where you are, and where you are, Lord, I am free and holy. Is Christ in me? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God. So teach my song to rise to you. When temptations come my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. And Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. And Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. My one defense, and you're my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. We'll sing, there's power. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power. the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. 
come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. We'll sing that again. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And would you be wider, much wider than snow? There's power in the blood power in the blood sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow there's wonderful power in the blood sing this power there is power power wonder-working power in the blood of the lamb there is power power wonder-working power in the precious blood of the lamb sing that again power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Amen. So thankful for that power this morning as we sing about the love that He has for us. Let us sing the song. This next one is called How He Loves. We've sang this. It's been a little while, but it's uh, one that I think is very appropriate as we're moving into the season. Um, why Jesus does what he does for us. Why God does what he does for us. And so let's sing about how much he loves us this morning. and We're thankful for that love that he has for us. He is jealous for me this morning. And He is jealous for me. His love's like a hurricane. I am the tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. When all of a sudden, when all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us so He is jealous for me. His love's like a hurricane. I am the tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. When all of a sudden, when all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Yeah, he loves. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh. 
Let's repeat that this morning, that he loves us. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, wow, he loves us. Oh, wow, he loves us. Oh, wow, he loves And we are his portion and he is our prize to redemption by the grace in his eyes if his grace is an ocean we are all sinking heaven meets earth and heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest and I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way yeah he loves us oh wow he loves us oh wow he loves us oh wow he loves us yeah he loves us oh wow he loves us oh I told you a minute ago we were going to continue after the Lord's Supper because after this time in which Christ institutes the Lord's Supper, what he then goes and does, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and as he's there, he's praying that this cup would pass over if it would be the will of the Father. And then as he's praying three different times, we see that then Judas and the guards, they come up, they take Jesus, and then Jesus goes and he goes before two Roman uh, government leaders and both of them, uh, they, they kind of push off the judgment. They say, I don't find any fault in this man. I, I don't desire to kill this man. Um, but in the Jews' uh, desire to see Christ crucified and killed, what happens is that the Jews push uh, the government so hard that they say, release Barabbas rather than Christ, and I want you to crucify Christ. And then after so much argument and war happens and concerned that the Jews would take over the government they surrendered and when they surrender Jesus is beaten and as he's beaten then he takes the cross on his shoulder and he marches down Gethsemane and that's what we're going to pick up this morning if you would let's look in Matthew chapter 27 verse 32 30 through 34 if you would let's stand as we read God's word out of reverence it says this as they went out they found a man or Sarna Simon by name they compelled this man to carry his cross and when they came to the place of Golgotha which means place of skull they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall but when he tasted it he would not drink it and when they had crucified him they divided his garments among them casting lots then they sat down and kept watch over him there and over his head they put the sign they put charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derived uh, him, waging their, wagging their heads and saying, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he could not save himself. 
He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he de desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. We're going to pick up in verse 45 later on, but let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity as this is a common practice to not only recognize Easter, God, but the days leading up to it. And the day is the day that we see the march of Christ coming in and then goes into the upper room to participate in the Lord's Supper and then in, um, and institute the Lord's Supper in communion with his disciples. And God, later in the week, we see that he's going to be marched down and taken and arrested and beaten and hung on a cross for our namesake, Father. And as we've read the scripture this morning, God, I pray that we remind ourselves it is what Christ done on that day. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you, and we thank you so much for this day that we're reading about. God, because on that day, we see that Christ was not murdered. Christ was not killed by any human man. But God, he gave his spirit up so that he could be the sacrifice for all humanity. And God, in three days, he would rise again. And in his rising, God, we find our hope, our joy, above all other things. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you. Your son's perfect and holy name. Amen. At the death of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, in this story in Matthew 27, we see that it may not uh, point out all of the things that we see in the other Gospels. For example, what we see in some Gospels is the salvation of one of the thieves. We see in some Gospels uh, the account where Christ gives his mother to John, um, if I'm not mistaken who that is, uh, to John to be, and he says, you are now his mother and you are now his, her child to watch over her. We see that there's different things that happen in different accounts, and we're not getting the whole picture here, but what we're ultimately seeing is the crucifixion of Christ. What we do know about the crucifixion of Christ is that before this, he would have been beaten, and then after he was beaten, we see that this steps in and we see that they pick Simon out of the crowd to help him carry the cross down. And as he carries his cross down, we then see that what's not in this example as well is that they would take Christ and they would nail his hands or uh, what we really know is they would bend his wrist to the cross, tying a rope to each hand, uh, possibly dislocating one of his shoulder to make the possibility to nail the other. Then they would do the same thing through his feet. And then after that, they would raise the cross so that everybody could see this criminal before society. That they would be on this hill that those that were passing by could view this criminal hanging there. But what we know about this man that hung on that cross was he was nothing like any others that hung on a cross on that spot. For he was not a criminal. He was not... Uh, insane. He did not blasphemy. He did not do anything in which the Jews said he did. For Christ was a perfect and holy man. Because what Christ was, was a man that was completely God and completely man itself. So he was com all of who God is, is who Christ is. And Christ also was completely man as well. Because Christ was the inherent word of God. God himself made into flesh so that he could take on the sins of humanity and when doing so he would conquer it all and because of that 
we get to our topic this morning, which is the word, and it may scare you away, but don't let it. It's the word atonement. And the reason why I'm telling you not to let the word atonement scare you away, because really it's only a six-letter word. It's not that big. It may be more than six. I'm not good at math. But it's not that big of a word. But also the word atonement is a very, very simple word. What it means is the work, of Christ, the work that Christ did in his life and death to earn salvation. That atonement is what Christ did to provide salvation for those who would call upon His name. And the reason why atonement is so, so necessary is that Christ accomplished something on the cross that only Christ could accomplish. Christ accomplished something that you and I could never do, even if we tried our hardest, we lived in a woods by ourselves with no one around, we separated from society altogether, that Christ accomplished something on the cross that no human being could do because it took the God nature of Christ to accomplish it. And so this morning, though, I'm going to ask some questions. But before I get into that, I want to first understand when the plan of atonement went into action. I want us to understand when God said, I for humanity. I want us to understand when God desired and de- determined to do this. Because so often when we read through Scripture, we may see different things that trigger, that say that's when God probably planned to send Christ. Think about the 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament when the Israelites would have been exiled. We may be thinking, well, that's when God decided to send Christ was because, you know, they were so far gone they needed something greater. That's not when Christ decided to do it. You may think think that God decided to do it when, you know, when, um, when Noah and the ark happened. That man, you know, at that moment God saw that men would be imperfect and, and that he would need something greater than himself. And so you may be thinking, that's when Christ, maybe, God maybe desired to send Christ. But that's not that. You go even farther back, you see that uh, Cain kills his own brother. And you may be thinking, well, that's probably when God desired, decided to send Christ. It goes even farther back. Then you get to Genesis 3 and you're like, this has to be it. It has to be that God decided to send Christ when the first sin happened. But it goes even farther back than that. See, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, we're not saved because of who we are, is what he's saying right there, but because of His purpose and grace that was saved through Christ and Christ alone. And then this next part says, Which He gave us in Christ before the ages began. Is that Christ, it was the plan in the beginning. Christ was plan A for salvation. Christ was not plan B, C, D, or E, or F. Christ was the first plan, the ultimate plan by God to save humanity. So before God spoke anything into existence, before God said, let there be, God had already planned to send His Son to be the salvation of the world. The world that He has not even created yet. Because God knew that man would fall and man would be sinful and man would need somebody to provide salvation for them. So I want us to first understand that the atonement which Christ offered through His life and death was an atonement that was the plan from the beginning. It was plan A. And why that is so significant is makes the first point this morning that more powerful. It makes the first thing that what caused the atonement of God of, through Christ Jesus was love itself. But this morning I want to look at four things and then I'm going I'm to tell you the four things real quick. 
The first one is that when we look at the four aspects of atonement, the first one is the cause for atonement. Why God did what He did. The second one is a need for atonement. Why we need needed to be atoned by Christ. The third is the nature of the atonement. What Christ really went through in His death. And fourth, the extent of atonement. But first, let's look at this idea of cause for atonement. What I mean by cause of atonement, I mean why God did what He did. Because I just said that if this was the plan from the beginning, then God knew from the beginning that Adam and Eve would eventually sin, turn away from Him, and then all of, all of the world would happen. God understood and knew what was going to happen. God is all-knowing, all omnipotent, all-powerful. God understood what would happen, and so He knew what the outcome was, and that God chose to create humanity anyway, knowing that they would rebel, turn against Him, and sin against Him, and so what we see is that God's love for humanity is so great. John three sixteen through 18. I want to read this because we read it not too long ago on Sunday morning to preach on. And it says this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His certain into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that what? He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That God's reason for atonement was that He ultimately loved humanity so much that He would send His own Son to die on the cross for us. That what kept, what sent Christ to the birth and to be laid in a manger was the love that God has for humanity. And what, what caused Christ to live a life that He lived and what caused Him to stay on the cross was the love in which God had for us. But it's more than that. If we, we can't just focus on the love that God has for us because that can cause us to puff up and be arrogant. What is also important for us to know is that what another cause for atonement, another reason God did what He did by sending Christ, is because it brought Him glory. Our purpose of man is to bring glory to God. So the purpose of Christ in saving humanity was to bring God glory as well. Hebrews 1, 1-4 says this, Long ago, as many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by prophets. But in the last day He gave spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom all He created the world, that God created the world through Christ, that He appointed all things to Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, that Christ is the exact imprint of who God is. Christ is the Son of God. Christ is God. The Son, Christ, is completely God, but in the human form. Whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty, having become much superior to angels, all the name inherited and more excellent than theirs. 
that Christ in his triumphal entry, in Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, Christ in his raising from the dead, his ascension back into heaven, that Christ was sat on the Father's throne, for Christ brought glory, honor, and praise to the Father for all eternity, because through Christ is the only name in which those can be saved. And what we see is that even in the revelations when you read, is that in the end every knee shall bow before Christ, because Christ brings great glory to the Father to be the atonement for man. The first thing we see is what caused Christ's sacrifice, what caused atonement was first God's love for humanity. Second was to bring God glory. And the next thing I want to look at, and I'll just kind of rush through these, this one, because we should know it by now. I talk about it all the time. It's the need for atonement. Why did Christ have to do what Christ did? Why did Christ have to be nailed to a cross? Why did Christ have to hang on a cross? Why did Christ have to die and then raise again? Why did this have to happen? It goes back to uh, Genesis chapter 3. It starts right there. When Adam and Eve sinned against God. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what happened was they turned their back against God. And when they did that in Genesis 3, you see that the curse of the world, the curse of the serpent, the curse of the woman, the curse of the man, all of this was imputed upon what was going on. And so Adam and Eve was the originator of sin. And then when you read Romans 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, what we see is therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, one death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned is that because Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, and this curse went on to all humanity, that all humanity now has, has this inherent desire and uh, bend to sin against God. And thus, we are all sinful. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we are all sinful. So the need for atonement is really, really simple. Is that God is perfect and holy. Man is sinful. Man is broken. Man has rebelled. Man has turned their back on God. Man is turning against Him if they realize it or not. And in all reality, what this does is this causes a separation between God and mankind. And so there had to be something greater. And that's what we see in Christ. Is that the need for atonement was Christ. To break down this barrier. To save those who can't save themselves. In all things that we do, if we tried to save ourselves, we never could. Work could never save us. Going to church could never save us. Praying enough, reading enough. None of these things save us. What saves us is a faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And, and this is what brings salvation to the world. So what we see so far is that the, the first thing we looked at was the cause for atonement was God's love and God's glory to be made known. The second thing was the need for atonement was because we're all sinful and fallen and turned against God. And then the third thing is what I want to spend a lot of my time this morning. It's the nature of the atonement. What I mean by that is what did Christ go through? I know so often uh, in a moment like this, I, as Troy was singing uh, How He Loves, I couldn't, sit, I couldn't help but sit down. And when I was sitting down, I was thinking about communion and, and how much God loved us and what Christ went through. And I couldn't help but to think about the physical pain that Christ went through, right? And the nails, the beating, the abandonment, the sin nature, all of these things that was poured onto Christ. I couldn't help but think about that. And this morning, I want us to look at three things about the nature of the torment, about what Christ really went through. And the first one, and I'm just going to tell them to you real quick, the first one is a physical pain that led to death. The second one is a pain of bearing sin. And the third one is a pain of abandonment. We're going to look at all three of these things. All three of these things play a 
huge part in what Christ went through on the cross. Now for the first one, I'm going to be real and honest with you. I'm taking a part from a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Uh, he explains what Christ went through on the cross in just a little bit of a way. And I want to read this to us because I want us to understand the physical pain that went on the death. And I don't want to spend a lot of time there because this is what we think about all the time. We think about the nails, the, the, the stabbing of the side. We think about the, the beating and all that. We think about all of these things. But I want to read this to you. And so it may take a second. It says this. A criminal who was crucified was essentially forced to inflict upon himself a slow death by suffocation. When the criminal's arms was outstretched and fastened by nails to the cross, he had to support most of the weight of his body with his arms. The criminal's, uh, the, the chest cavity, cavity would be pulled upward and outward, making it difficult to excel in order to be able to draw in fresh breath. But when the victim's longing for oxygen became unbearable, he would have to push himself up with his feet, thus giving more natural support uh, of the weight of the body, releasing some of the weight from the arms and enabling his chest cavity to contract more normally. By pushing himself upward in this way, the criminal could fin to find, uh, off, defend off suffocation, but it was extremely painful because it required putting the body's weight in nails, holding the feet, and bending the elbow and uh, pulling up with the nails driven through the wrist. The criminal's back, which had been torn open repeatedly by a previous flogging would scrape against the wood cross with each breath. And so, put this in context, we're saying here is that when they, when they nailed the person to the cross, we all know what it looks like. You had nailed in one hand, nailed in the other, nailed in the feet. And the way the cross was built, there's a cross here, and the cross was built where this beautiful little design is, there would have been a hump in it. And where that hump was, it would push on the back in such a way that it would cause it, not only the chest cavity to be separated like the stretching of the arm, but it would cause this hump to cause it hard for them to breathe. And when it was hard for them to breathe, what he's saying here is that they would have to take and push up with their feet and pull up with their arms and be able to breathe a little bit. And when they breathed a little bit, it was just, just extreme pain in that moment just to be able to breathe. And so what, what's, what happened on the cross in the crucifixion and most times, it wasn't a death of blood loss or anything of that nature. It was a death of suffocation. And they would, they would, ultimately, they would suffocate to death, and this would lead to the death. And that's why most crucifixions would take a day or two in length for the person to die, which Christ did not take that long because he gave up his spirit. And we see that through Scripture. But what we see in all this is this physical death was a horrible, horrible death, right? Is one that, that he had to move into. But I, when I was reading this this week, and I, I read through that statement, I couldn't help but think about what Christ even did while he was hanging on the cross. He was hanging on the cross. This thief on his side wants to be in paradise. And so Christ sits and he has a conversation with him, lifting his hands, lifting his feet every time he had to talk. And then even in his last statement where he says, Eli, Eli, Elohim, Elohim, why have you forsaken me? God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in that last moment, he had to raise himself and go through this physical pain once again to sacrifice himself. That this is the physical pain that Christ went through. And then I don't know about you, and I don't want to push this one. This will be the last thing I say. It's this last line. It says, the criminal's back, which had been repeatedly by previous flogging, would scrape against the wood cross with each breath. I'll I, I just imagine one little splinter that comes from a piece of wood but imagine what Christ would go through with this rough cut lumber. 
see what we see here is that this physical pain which Christ went through was horrific enough. It was so horrible that when we can't even imagine that, and it's so bad that we don't even want to think about it, and it's even the point that when you see through some accounts of the gospel, it says that he died on the cross. It doesn't go in any depth because it was such a horrific thing. But the reality of it all is that's the minor thing when which Christ went through. That was, the, that was just a drop in the bucket of what Christ would soon go through and what Christ was really going through on the cross. The next thing we see is the pain of bearing sin. The pain of bearing the world's sin. What we see in Isaiah 53, 6 and 1 Peter 2, 24, we see that Christ took on the sins of the entire world, the past, the present, the future, that Christ took on the sins of those who would call upon His name. And so if Christ took on these sins, it's first important for us to look at what it means to sin. Romans 3, 20, uh, 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. Then the rest says, For the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. But the wages of sin is death. What it means by death in 6.23 is a twofold thing. One, a physical death, which we all know is uh, unavoidable. It's going to happen to each and every one of us at some point in our lives that we we're going to find ourselves before the Heavenly Father because we will either die or Christ will return. Not only a physical death, but also an eternal death. That those that have sinned, which is all of humanity, according to Romans 3.23, that those who have sinned will face eternal death but what God did in love was sent Christ to atone those sins. So what Christ did on the cross was He took every sin from all who would call upon His name. He took the sin of the world on His shoulders. He took a sin, the, the sin of the world. And really what this means is that, let's say Troy, for example, Troy's a good guy, he only sinned one time in his life. We all know that. Troy only sinned one time in his life, that one sin against God, that one rebellion against God would earn him eternal damnation. Some people don't want to wrap their mind around that. They don't understand that. But that's the reality to it. If we were able to just sin once, and we sinned once, that would earn us eternal damnation. That would earn us an eternity away from God in a fiery torment that would be everlasting, that would be unending forever. And what Christ did in His death was He took the entire world's eternal damnation and He placed it on His shoulder. That this was the wrath of God poured out upon Him. This was unbearable. This is something we can't even imagine because it would take an eternity for us to suffer our own sins. But Christ accomplished this in one moment. But to put the icing on the cake of misery that Christ ate was that the physical pain of the crucifixion and the pain of taking on himself the absolute evil of our sins was aggravated by the fact that Jesus faced the pain alone. Is that the pain of abandonment. What we see in Christ's earthly ministry is that his mother, his, his brothers, they were there for him. And then he come and he made friends. He made the disciples. He had three that were really close to him. Peter, his best friend, abandons him. What we see is he abandons him. But to even remove all of those things, let's think about Matthew 27, 45 through 46. I told you I'd get back there. Matthew 27, 45 through 46 says this. Now from the sixth hour there was a darkness over the land to the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eliolam Zapakim. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. This word forsaken means abandoned. 
my God, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? For us to really understand this, this is a hard thing to wrap our minds around. I know it is difficult, but what we have is we have a, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were perfectly in unity together from eternity on, right? That from the before the world was created, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was in perfect unity together. They were perfectly con, uh, content with one another. They fulfilled one another. They were in unity together. But then in some way, some fashion, in this moment in which God's uh, wrath was poured upon Christ, that this, this unity was broken in some way. I don't understand it. I can't explain it completely. But what we see is that God abandoned the Son, that Christ in this moment was completely alone. That he was in forever and forever and forever. He was in perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit. But in this moment, he finds himself alone, taking on the sin of the entire world. Many of us have went through things that are difficult and hard. Things that seem unbearable, seem like you can't make it through it. What Christ went through on this day could compare. It wouldn't even compare if we had an eternity of lifetime and lived them and went through an eternity of pain. The Christ went through in this moment would not even compare. But the joy that most of us find is that even when we go through difficulty, that Jesus in Luke chapter 16 says, I am going to leave and I'm going to send one to you. And he is the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit that is going to live with inside you. And we find a comfort and a joy in that. Christ did not have this in this moment. That Christ took on the sins of the world. And when the wrath of God was poured upon him, that God had to look away and pour his wrath on his own child. The, the nature of the atonement is not an easy one. It's one of the most difficult things to explain. It's one of the most difficult things to fathom. It's one of the most difficult things for us to even wrap our minds around. But what we see is that Christ accomplished something that only He could do. And because of that, what is the outcome? What is the outcome of Christ's sacrifice. John 3.18 Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That through Christ, those who believe and call upon the name of Christ can now be saved. That Christ saves those who call Him. This is a warning here. There's a, there's a philosophy or a religion going around now that says that all will come to Christ in the end. That they will go to hell for a little bit of time. They'll work their way out of hell and then they'll find themselves in heaven. That is false. That is heresy. That is just completely wrong. That we know is that Christ is the only way to God. And because of that, what we see is that what Christ accomplished on the cross was that whoever should believe in Him, whoever would call upon His name of salvation, shall be saved. This morning, I want to look at three things quick. I'm not going to take long anymore. Christ is calling you to respond to the gospel today. Maybe you're here this morning, and as we preach on the atonement, the sacrifices in which Christ has made, not only by living, but dying on the cross. I want to give you this hope this morning. 
is that Christ did not stay in a tomb. Christ did not stay in death. Christ did not stay in that moment that in three days later, as we're going to look at next week, He rose again. He conquered hell, death, and the grave. He conquered your sin. And now you can call upon His name for salvation and be saved and be delivered from that eternal damnation and separation from the Father. You can't do it on your own. You can't fight it on your own. You can't save yourself. I don't care how big of a man or a woman you are. You cannot save yourself. Christ is the only way to salvation. And then secondly, if you're here this morning and you are a believer, this right here should bring you the greatest joy, the greatest hope, the greatest peace, the greatest uh, self-control, all of these things, than anything else in this life because God accomplished something and did not require you to pay your debt. And the third thing is Troy comes. Especially when we look at the extent of the atonement, when we see that those who believe in Christ can be saved, what we know is that Christ only saves those who, those who believe in Him. The atonement is not released to those who don't believe in Him. And so the reality to it all is, is that that should drive us to share the gospel with people. That your friend, your loved one, your co-worker, family member, your daughter, your son, your wife, your husband, whoever it may be, that their only way of salvation is through Christ Jesus. If they don't know Christ, their eternal separation from God will be everlasting. And so it is your responsibility, it is your calling to first love God, love them, and when you do that, you share the gospel with them. You live the gospel out. As the NAM video said this morning, maybe you, you Reach them where they are. But this morning, this, we're going to stand in just a second. We're going to sing um, the Old Rugged Cross. What a fantastic song. As we sing this, the Old Rugged Cross this morning. Maybe you're here and you need to come to Christ in salvation. Maybe you want to know how. Come talk to me. I'll pray along with you. We'll, we'll work this out between you and the good Lord. Maybe you're here and it's hard for you to find joy this morning. Find joy in the fact that Christ has saved you from all things. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a loved one that doesn't know Jesus. I would encourage you to move from the place you are, come to the altar, and pour out to God for their salvation. Because it's a representation that you're going to move in your life where you are to find them where they are and you're going to share the gospel with them. Heavenly Father, we come now, we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you. God, I pray this morning, your will be done this morning as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your son's perfect, your holy name. Amen. Lord, let's stand together.
I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown to the old rugged cross I will ever be true its shame and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me someday to thy home far away where his glory forever I'll share so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down and I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down and I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown 